Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller and Rachel Seedman. And in each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers. Hello. Hello, Adina. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. How are you? <laughs> I am so good because it is a very special day. It is. In Disney Rewind history. I'm going to call it history. I don't know it why. Is. It is history. It is our 20th episode. We have been doing this now for six months. That's crazy. I know. This just so happens to come out on a very auspicious week. It does. As uh, the day after this comes out is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you, everybody. Yes, may it be <laughs> with you. In honor of all of the things that we've just said, we are going to be breaking down Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And in order to break down this episode and give it the justice that both Adina and I know that it deserves, we will also be breaking down our episode into two parts. So today you will be getting part one, and next week you will be getting part two. So Adina, do you want to say what part one is going to consist of? I am so glad that you asked. So... You know, normally we will be pairing, we, we pair our movies with a wine. For part one, we will not be pairing specifically with a wine. We are going to be breaking down the fun facts about this movie. There is so much to talk about. So there is so absolutely much. no way that we will get to everything. But also each of us interviewed our dads. We did. So we will be sharing our interviews with our dads. You will be hearing those in a little bit uh, mm -hmm. because both of our dads went and saw this movie when it originally came out. And yeah, they did. we cannot say that about ourselves in this movie. Nope. <laughs> nope. So because of that, we had to bring in the experts, if you will, the OGs, the ones who got us into Star Wars. And I think that's actually a perfect segue into just kicking everything off into, I'm going to ask you, Adina. How'd you get into Star Wars? Oh, well, it, I, you know, I don't remember the first time seeing it. I was definitely single digits. And I do mention this in an interview with my dad. Like we had all of the VHS tapes and I watched them all the time. Uh, my favorite growing up was episode six. Very much so because of the Ewoks. Um, same. <laughs> I just remember loving, I love this franchise. It, it was so fun to be in a galaxy far, far away, like a whole different universe. My brother and I would always like, we had like toy lightsabers and we would play with our lightsabers. And it was just, I, I, I can't remember a time not loving Star Wars. Oh, I love that. I know. And what about you, Rachel? Same in the sense that I can't tell you the first time that I saw Star Wars. However, I just remember this being a big part of growing up of Star Wars and making references to Star Wars and my brother and I playing Star Wars. I would be Yoda, you know, I'd help out and Eric would be the one doing all of the actual Jedi-ing. I would not be doing that. Um, though I did make a very cute Princess Leia a couple of times too. My hair, my little brown hair and a little buns, adorable. Um, that's, you know, it's fine. But I, I definitely agree as a kid, episode six, like you can't beat 
the Ewoks when you are just a child looking at them, which is probably why I have a cat that basically looks like an Ewok now. Like honestly, she does. She does. I'm just living my my she dreams does. of having an Ewok. So I know that this has just been a big part of my life and your life for our entire lives. And that's so incredibly exciting that now for our 20th episode, that's what we get to celebrate. It's also something that like I am not afraid to say that I'm still a ginormous Star Wars nerd, as is Adam. And that is one of the things that definitely brought us closer together. He likes to joke like we were working on our wedding website and I asked him to write a how he met me from his point of view. And he was like, as I was on J swipe, I came across a girl dressed as a star Wars character being a fan of star Wars. I was intrigued. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. Nothing is more. I know it's not, not, nothing is describes our relationship better than that. I'm going to preface before we get even deeper into this episode. You and I are not experts. We are not the ones on the star Wars reddits and like those intense fan pages. We just, love this franchise and are celebrating it with you guys today. So, you know, if we get something wrong or miss a fact that you think is super, super important, you're like, oh, these girls think that they're experts about Star Wars. Getting that out of the way, we're not. (laughs) We're not. We are not Star Wars experts, (laughs) but we love it. We absolutely love it. We appreciate it. And that's why we want to do this episode is, again, if we get something wrong, like Adina said, tell us and guess what we have so many more star wars episodes later on to get to (laughs) yes this is not a one-time thing guys we are we are so excited to be venturing outside of our little our little classic disney home that we've created for ourselves and really venturing out into other pieces of disney media and so that is the the way that we're going to kick this off. Like I mentioned earlier, we are not pairing a wine with this yet. That will come next week. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. Um, but Rachel, what are you drinking alongside our discussion today? Because you know we got to get a little tipsy as we discuss because oh, that yeah. makes it way more fun. <laughs> for everybody. Um, so <laughs> I am actually at my parents' house right now and I'm house-sitting and pet-sitting for them while they're gone, which means I got to kind of, you know, raid their wine collection a little bit. And so I found a Rombauer Chardonnay. So this is a pretty bougie Chardonnay. Looked up the price pretty damn expensive. And I'm very, very excited about this. It smells. The nose on this is so nice. The way that people have described it is that it's a perfect blend of smoky and butteriness. So Mm. I'm pretty excited. I definitely get a lot of the smokiness on the nose to this. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to drink that while we, you know, I'm drinking a family wine. This is a classic Napa, like oaky shard. That it most certainly is. It's from Napa. It is the classic, as classic Napa Shard as you could possibly get. I know that that is your mom's favorite varietal. Oh, it is. (laughs) It most certainly is, which is why this bottle was open in the refrigerator when I got here. Ah, okay. (laughs) I did not open this. It was already (laughs) sitting there waiting for me. What are you drinking, Adina? I think that's what people really want to know. 
Last week I said, guys, it's the end of tax season. I kind of lied. Tax season is technically still going for a couple more weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So Adam is back in his office and I am back on the floor here. And it's real hot in L.A. And sitting on my carpeted floor makes it even hotter. So I decided to go with something that would cool me down. It's not wine, (laughs) which is weird (laughs) because usually I'm drinking wine. Uh, I made myself a berry daiquiri, a frozen berry daiquiri of sorts um, with vodka. And it's, uh, I accidentally made two very large cupfuls. So my goal is not to drink both of them, but TBD, I'll tell you where we are at the end. What a fun adventure we're about to have. (laughs) So fun. I don't drink hard alcohol anymore, guys. So Until today. (laughs) With that, a hearty, especially for me, (laughs) cheers. Cheers, Adina. So I think we both have, I was going to say wine in hand. No, we don't. We have drink in hand. So let's actually kick this off and we are going to play you the interview that we had with our fathers. It's pre-recorded. We'll give you that interview and we will be right back to give you some facts about the movie. I'm first just going to say, can you introduce yourself? Well, hello. Uh, My name is Mark Seedman. Among other things, I happen to be Rachel Seedman's father. Hi, I'm Keith Miller, and I'm the proud father of Adina Miller, who is a Star Wars enthusiast and who claims that I got her into Star Wars which may or may not be true. And I'm very proud of my daughter, and I love her very much. Aw, that's nice, Daddy. Okay, so let's kick this off here. Dad, how old were you when Star Wars first came out? When did it come out? 77? Yeah, 1977. So I would have been 13 years old. Is this a a math quiz? Yes, it's a math quiz. (laughs) So do you remember the first time that you saw Star Wars in theaters? I remember the first time I saw Star Wars in a theater, yes. And who were you with? I was alone. You were alone? I think I had plans to see it with someone, and then for some reason those fell through, so I made it my business to go see it, and I ended up going alone. And what was it like? Did you enjoy it, first of all, but also like, was there hype surrounding it? Did you see any of the trailers? I don't think I recall seeing trailers. I remember seeing lots of movie posters, so that was always a big thing. You'd see them on bus stops. You know, There would be a billboard on the bus stop, so you'd see posters, and that was, uh, it was exciting, and there was lots of people, you know, lots of my schoolmates that would talking about it that they had seen it so that built up a lot of excitement what was it like to see the movie on opening day or the first time you saw it well it actually was opening day and it was insane i was pretty young at the time maybe 21 or something like that and uh, a, a year or two a few years earlier i guess i had actually waited in line overnight to go to a concert of uh to see the rolling stones or something like that and and this was almost like that people were lining up it was a cultural phenomenon it wasn't like a movie opening it was like this big thing and and some friends of mine said we got to go and i said well okay i mean sure no no we got to go 
and we did and and we get to Grauman's Chinese theater I, I think it was and and there were like these crowds and there was media it was it was insane so so we get in line and you know and sure enough after a while we get in we get our seats and there's this buzz it's again it's hard to explain it this is not a movie it's bigger and of course i know i really don't know very much i hadn't seen a preview I knew I knew it was a big deal. There was lots of billboards around and stuff, and but you know it's going to be a space movie, so okay, fine. Um, and then it started. Okay, so what would you say was the impact of this movie that it had upon you and the people around you? So you were in middle school. Rachel's dad was a little older. I was in jun- junior high school. There was no such thing as middle school, just to be specific. All right, so you were in junior high school. Yes. Okay, so what was the impact like, you know, discussing this with your classmates? What was like the the overall impact of this? When you mean impact to me, the impact, how, how did it affect my life? No, like the cultural phenomenon that is Star Wars or that was Star Wars at the time that it came out. There was nothing like it that had I had ever seen. So it was a very um, unique experience and... At the time, the special effects for that time were very impressive. So, you know, lightsabers and and spaceships traveling greater than the speed of light. I mean, more so than what you would see on Star Trek on television, which preceded Star Wars, of course. But it was, you know, seeing it on a big screen. There was there, there had been nothing quite quite like it. So I would say that the the impact was. Um, large and it was it was an exciting movie it was very exciting i couldn't wait to see it again just because it was that exciting and how many times did you see it in theaters over 600 times (laughs) (laughs) no i don't remember i mean more than twice for sure the for the original the first one yeah what was the impact of this movie in general, describe the cultural phenomenon that ensued after you left the theaters. Well, I guess the word that comes to mind was big. I think it really changed the movie industry where this concept of the mega blockbuster that really kind of surpassed all all precedents um, I mean, of course, it's a classic good guys, bad guys story. I mean, some people liken it to kind of a, like the like a western with the themes of the the good the good guys and the bad guys, and and of course, spoiler alert, the good guys prevail. But again, there was so much buzz about just you know just how big could a movie release be, and I think this paved the way for a lot of the mega blockbusters that were to follow. How many times do you think you have seen this movie? Oh my gosh. I'm sure we saw it three or four times in its original run. We we just we just had to go back. It was it was just stunning. Um and then you know, honestly, Rachel, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this on TV. Um VHS, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, um all the above. I I can't even begin to count. Okay, do you remember why you had wanted to show me Star Wars for the first time when I was a kid? Why? Yeah. 
I suppose I had enjoyed it so much, so I wanted to share that with you. That would be the reason why I would want to want like anything, you know. Hey, I had a great meal at this restaurant. Maybe you should come, and then you'll have a great meal too. So it's sort of the same the same idea, but it's you know, and particularly since it had been so long. I mean, how many years after I had seen it, and the movie had been released? If I took you or you or did we watch it at home or did we go to a theater? We definitely had them on VHS. Right. Okay. So assuming we watched it here, you know, this decades later. So, you know, it's never, it's not going to be as exciting all those decades later from the experience that I felt going to a movie theater and seeing these things on a, on a big screen. That's upsetting. (laughs) Why? (laughs) It's not upsetting. How did you feel after seeing this for the first time? It was pretty overwhelming. Um, and and I think, you know, it, it's it's brilliant production. And I'm, I'm going to, for a moment, take you back to the opening scene, where if you'll recall, you know, all of a sudden here goes some ship across the scene right over the top. And then you see the front tip of a Star Destroyer. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of how it is with the movie. You're, you're, you're there and it's like, oh, wow. And then you get into the dog fighting scenes and it's like, oh, wow. And I suppose you kind of know they're going to blow up the Death Star. But nonetheless, when they blow up the Death Star, it's like, oh, wow. So everybody kind of walks out of the theater in that weird kind of, they're, they're quiet sort of. And then they're kind of starting like, wow, well, like, what did you think? Like, do, well, uh, what? Uh. And it was, it was so interesting. And, you know, and we were right among them, my friends and I, you know, we knew we'd seen something pretty special and impressive. Um, so, but it, it was, I guess, it was really kind of overwhelming, you know, the first time coming out because we really didn't know what we were walking into and it really exceeded every expectation we could have had. So dad, obviously my podcast is about Disney and wine. And I would say that you are a huge reason why I love wine so much. So do you know where that love of wine started? Well, probably just you observed well, like, give me a little bit of background on you. I have a, a retail wine business, and we sell wine and do wine tastings and wine events and, you know, weddings and stuff like that. And I consume wine on a regular basis, along with my wife, your mom. And we, um, so I'm guessing that your interest in wine came from going with us taking you to wineries and um, us having you try different wines and us expecting that you would enjoy it, but not necessarily to the extreme level that you do. So I'm glad that you enjoy wine. That's good. That's a good thing. Wine brings joy in moderation to our lives. Very true and very well said, Dad. Thank you. Um, Okay. So obviously one of the big things that we do is pair our movie with wine. So if you were to pair a wine with Star Wars, what would that be and why? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Um, I would say 
a sparkling wine because Star Wars is just an explosively exciting movie. So something with, um, you know, beautiful perlage, a lot of uh, bubble activity. I would even say, and let's, you know, take it to uh, maybe the the nicest expression of, of sparkling wine, maybe a, a grower champagne of some, some type. I don't want to specify because we're not giving plugs to specific wineries, at least I'm not. So um, we could do that or maybe, you know, uh, a French Accorda, something um, sparkling from uh, Northern Italy. That would be kind of cool. So I would do, I would definitely do that. And that could sort of uh, represent the move, the moving from uh, traveling at regular speed into light speed. (laughs) That's a really good one, Tad. Thanks, Adina. That's fun. I agree. And if I were to ask one final question of what is the lasting impact to you for this movie? Well, in a funny way, it's the small things. Um, You know, adopting Darth Vader's theme as my own with my children, walking in, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's a little thing. But it, but it was one of those things that just just persisted. And, and you know the joke in our family that these aren't the droids we're looking for. Um, just some of these iconic, take a sip, lines that just have endured with us forever and ever. Um, so it, it's not so much the big things as much as some of the, uh, the little things that have just seemed to stick with us. So anything else you want to share? No, I hope people enjoy your podcast. It's fun to uh, to be on. And your mom and I have listened to your <laughs> podcast and we uh, we enjoy it. So it'll be fun to fun to listen to uh, to this when it is finally uh, shared. All right, Dad. Well, thank you for joining me today. This was super fun. And hopefully you will come back on the podcast at a later date. Love you. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time and talking through your thoughts, feelings, everything with this movie. I I know I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate both you and Keith offering up uh, your thoughts, feelings, opinions, everything else. Uh, any final thoughts that you would like to leave us with about this movie? No, uh, I, other than what I've already shared with you, I just uh, thanks for the opportunity to share this on the podcast. And it just brings back so many great memories uh, of the original release of the movie, watching it with, with you and Eric. Um, there are just so many good memories. Just It's kind of hard not to smile. Aw, thank you. Well, thank you very much for, again, everything you have to share with us. You're always welcome on the pod. Well, that was really fun talking to our dads. I love talking to my dad about this. It just made me so happy. And so we have to bring our families in more. That was so fun. It was so nice. I agree. Our parents are the best guys. They really are. All right. So now that we got some some little fun nostalgia from the dads out of the way, let's get into this movie. Yeah. So I wrote the Disney Plus description down. I did not write my own description because I didn't want to open that can of worms and, again, have people yell at us. I respect that. All right. 
young farm boy Luke Skywalker is thrust into a galaxy of adventure when he intercepts a distress call from the captive Princess Leia. The event launches him on a daring mission to rescue her from the clutches of Darth Vader and the evil Empire. You know what? Disney Plus, I know you didn't write this Disney Plus. I know you didn't. I like it. It's really good. I like it. It does not mention Jedis. Nope. But to be honest with you, there's not a lot of Jedi lightsaber action fun stuff in this movie. There's that not. really didn't come until later on, but not even fully until the prequel trilogy. Yeah, lightsabers were definitely a thing. I mean, 100% in the OGs, but the idea of the Jedi and everything that we get, I mean, the prequel, we really get who the Jedi are. We get so much Jedi lore in the first, Mm -hmm. I can't say first, that's the prequels. (laughs) Episode one. Thank you. Uh, Episode one, two, and three. In normal world, that would be the first. However, we're not in normal world. We're in Star Wars world, but- there's definitely more Jedi in that. So I'm happy they don't say that. Yeah, George just really liked picking up the story right in the middle of the action. Um, but that leads us perfectly into Rachel's little dive of the crawl. It does. So I want to talk a little bit about that opening. You know what? I see your drink in hand. That iconic. Take a drink, Adina. Cheers. Opening crawl. So. George Lucas was inspired by Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers film to create the opening crawl. And in addition to actually a lot of inspiration for the saga comes from these movies, Flash Gordon movies and Buck Rogers movies. The original crawl itself was six paragraphs with four sentences each, which George then I like saying George like he's my friend. He's not, but I'm going to pretend he is. George told <laughs> his friends, he read it to them, and his friend Brian De Palma heard that and disliked it so much that he reworked the entirety of the crawl. So I am going to read the crawl because it's very rare that you actually hear these words. You've read these words a million times, but I think it's pretty rare that you've ever heard them so i'm gonna read them please it is a period of civil war rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire during the battle rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the empire's ultimate weapon the death star all caps an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet Pursued by the Emperor's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen planets that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. I've never heard that out loud. Ever. Oh, thank you. I don't think I have either. Yeah, I've only ever heard it in my head. The last thing that I want to say about the opening crawl is... In episodes four through six, not the later ones, but four through six, this was actually a physical model on the floor that they filmed. And so the models were two feet wide and six feet long to get the camera then pulled down lengthwise of the entire model to capture all of the words 
that we then see on the screen. So they actually created this working little rigged thing that would move the camera down all of the words. And that's how we get the opening crawl to this movie. That's super fun and random. I liked it. I liked it. But this leads me into my first section of notes. Rachel, it is entitled, George Lucas has no idea what's going on for better or worse. I love that (laughs) title. (laughs) I knew you would. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's so true. It's so true. The more you read about this movie, the more you're like, hmm, George knows like, 50% 50% of what is happening. And I don't know if that, and in some cases it's a good thing, some cases it's a bad thing. So I'm going to look at both things. Yay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to uh, jump in with any facts or opinions. Oh, I will. Okay. So during production, George Lucas referred to this movie as a Disney movie, trying to capture the whimsy of a classic 1950s Disney family movies. Uh, because one of his favorites was Swiss Family Robinson. I feel like he was ahead. Like, this is a this is a good thing. He knows what's going on for better. Like, you know, obviously it was many years after this movie came out that Disney acquired Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it does lend itself well to that Disney, that, like, alternate reality, like, funness. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to say it. <laughs> whimsy. I mean, there is some whimsy to this I know, movie. but I didn't, I, I, yeah, I didn't want to say whimsy again. I was trying to, you know, get the thesaurus out of my head here. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. No, we don't do that here. Thesaurus, who is she? We don't know her. <laughs> She's a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Next fact. In. Yep. George Lucas has no idea what's going on, for better or for worse. I'm not going to say it every time, but I just found that really funny, and I thought it was really clever when I wrote it down. <laughs> it was clever. You done good there. So, our good pal George was so sure that this movie would flop, uh, instead of attending the premiere, he went on vacation to Hawaii with his good friend, Steven Spielberg. So, uh, this is one of the for worse. He doesn't know what's going on. Uh, However, while they were there in Hawaii, they came up with the idea for Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. A classic. Which I'm going to insert. You asked that I could insert things here. Here's an insertation by Rachel. Not a word. As a kid, I, dare I say this, didn't know that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were two separate people. I always was convinced they were the same person. Just in my head, they are the same person. I think it's because the first thing I I think I ever saw was Indiana Jones. And so that's in my head that like this movie is done by this person. They're one person. Steven Lucas. I don't know. I just like it's the same person in my head. I don't know. Um, so I just wanted to share that because I knew there's a lot of them, like the two of them doing things throughout this that I, I had to just share yes. Rachel silly thoughts as a kid, not knowing they were two separate people and just thinking they were the same person. That is amazing. Oh my God. That <laughs> laugh was so real, guys. Like I, oh my God, that was so funny. (laughs) Uh, But I don't blame you. And there's 
styles are similar, especially when it comes to this genre. Their styles are very similar. So again, I don't blame you here. George Lucas's decision to accept a lower salary on the movie in exchange for full merchandising rights was considered a fool's gamble on his part. Because toys based on movies had really never been major money earners. Uh, like some movie toy combinations had done like moderate retail returns, whatever. Because of the long gap between when a movie would come out and when the products would become available. However, with Star Wars, it was such a phenomenon that it reached holiday 1977 sales period in full swing and changed the way that movies were merchandised forever. Spaceballs, the lunchbox. Spaceballs, the flamethrower. Like, that is why Spaceballs makes that joke. <laughs> but, like, you know, last week we talked about the lack of retail and toys with a goofy movie. Yeah. And how that was so strange because you think about it, movies like this, of course there's going to be toys. Of course there's going to be t-shirts with the characters' faces on it. Of course. Like that's just a given. But that wasn't a given until this movie. So again, George knows what's going on for the better. Or he doesn't know what's going on for the better. Can you imagine <laughs> the Mandalorian and no Grogu merchandise, period? Okay, but also think about that. That's a whole different ballgame because is. nobody knew about Grogu until the episode aired. So, like, since they hadn't released any photos of it, like, they weren't making merchandise until that episode aired. And then they were like, zoom, 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 let's go. But, like... Just the fact that, again, George Lucas just being like, I'm going to take a gamble here. I bet people are going to, you know what? How highly does he think of himself that he thinks, you know what? People are going to love to buy my shit. Like, that's what he's thinking. That's what he's saying. But here's the thing. No, he wasn't thinking it. He didn't know what was going on in this movie, Rachel. That's the whole point I'm making in this section. <laughs> he had... No idea what was going to happen with Star Wars. No fucking clue. You know what? I'm just going to pretend that he just is high and mighty and he's just like, I don't know what's going on, but people are going to love it. They're going to love it. They're going to pay so much money for my <laughs> shit right now. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it's actually very surprising that it did so well. And I'll tell you why in my next fact of George Lucas doesn't know what's going on for better or for worse. Prior to the movie's release, George, our good buddy, we're just going to call him George, uh, okay. showed an early rough cut to a group of his movie director friends. And according to Lucas, this version still contained a lot of stock footage from old war movies, which, fun fact, that's where they got all of the, like, space death destroyer scenes. So that footage was in place of the special effects shots, which did not make a lot of sense. So most people in this room were like, what are you thinking? Like, what? Like, what is this movie? Uh, and everyone, including Lucas, as I mentioned before, thought that this movie would flop. But the only person who thought this was going to be a good idea was other George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's canon. They're the same person. It's canon. They're the same person. They're both men with gray hair and beards. <laughs> Okay, but Spielberg, pro 
predicted that the film would be, quote, the biggest movie of all time and make millions of dollars. So Steven knows what's going on. But Lucas was like in that room when everyone was like, what the hell's going on? And Spielberg was like, no, 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 you guys are wrong. This is this is the shit. Pretty much everyone in the room was like, oh, poor Steven. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, George doesn't know what's going on. Mm-mm. So this one of George Lucas doesn't know what's going on, for better or for worse. Yep. At various points during production of this movie, Rachel, uh, he considered making Star Wars with different kinds of casts. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, one I did. was an all black cast, mm-hmm. which would be very different because we do not have a black character in in episode four. We we get Lando in episode five. He also thought about having an all Japanese cast, including uh, Toshiro Mifune as Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was a staple in Akira Kurosawa movies. So that would have been very interesting. Can I just say, while you're saying all of this, how how progressive of him, really, to think of these things? However, pause, comma, how unprogressive, because he really didn't do jack shit. Like, he has these thoughts, and, like, I love where his head's at, but I hate where his action's at, because his head's in a great place, apparently, which is why I love the name of your segment. Love it. It's so spot on. Because what the hell is he doing? He has these great thoughts, and then... What just happened? Where's the representation, George? Okay, but ready? It gets worse. Oh, no. At one point, George planned. (laughs) Rachel is making a face. I don't know if she knows what I'm going to say or not. I think she does. George Lucas planned for the characters of Luke Skywalker and Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen to be dwarves and have like the rest of the cast all be little people. Yeah. Which he chalked up to being influenced by Lord of the Rings. Big yikes, guys. (laughs) Big yikes. He was halfway there with the idea of, like, inclusion. I think it should have just been a diverse cast of people. Like, why does it have to be an all-black or all-Japanese? Exactly. George, love what you're thinking. However, let's, like, complete this thought And just say, oh, let's have a diverse cast. Let's show everybody who comes to see this how in a galaxy far, far away, you're there too. What the hell, George? Exactly. Because having it be all of one race of people kind of pigeonholes it into something. Whereas when you have a cast of people from diverse backgrounds and origins, which they get better at once Disney has bought the franchise, it does get a lot better. Yeah. It's not perfect, but it gets better. Next edition of George Lucas has no idea what's going on for better or for worse is literally he admits to not knowing what's going on. Let me explain here. In 2010, George Lucas sent Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, the executive producers of the show Lost, which Adam and I just finished a rewatch of. He sent them a letter congratulating them on the show's end and letting them in on some possibly facetious secrets about the development of the Star Wars film franchise. Quote, don't tell anyone, but when Star Wars first came out, I didn't know where it was going either. The trick is to pretend you've planned the whole thing out in advance. Throw in some father issues and references to other stories. Let's call them homages. And you've got a series. Thoughts. Rachel thoughts. 
It's a new it's a new segment we have called Rachel Thoughts. Um, I think this whole show is Adina Thoughts and Rachel Thoughts. It is. That's, <laughs> Let's that's our podcast. Okay. You know, say what you want about God, J.K. Rowling. <coughs> Gross. At least she thought it through start to finish what the fuck was going to happen with Harry Potter. You know what? I give her credit. I don't give her credit for anything else. She at least thought it through. Don't just say that you're going to throw in some daddy issues. What the hell are you saying right now? This isn't Oedipus. What are you talking about? Get out of here, George. I, look, I will give credit to the author of Harry Potter for very nicely storyboarding that entire franchise. Well done. You can tell that there are some issues with Star Wars. And I'm going to say you can especially tell that in the new trilogy, episodes seven, eight, and nine. But if you know that you the movie ended with Darth Vader surviving, which George fought to keep in because he wanted there to be room for a sequel. If you're already thinking that far ahead that you want there to be a sequel, know where you want your story to end. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I have nothing else to say to that except yes, you're right. Thank you. Okay, so we've talked about, by we. I mean me, because <laughs> in my last fact of George Lucas has no idea what's going on for better or for worse, we're talking about production, not pre-production, not post-production, production. I'm slurring my words a little bit. Yay! So, during production of this movie, the actors found that George Lucas was very uncommunicative towards them, uh, with his only directions generally being either faster or more intense. And at one point when he temporarily lost his voice, the crew provided him with a board with just those two phrases on it so he could flip it back and forth faster, <laughs> more intense. What the actual fuck? That's what she said. I just... <laughs> <laughs> what, George? Like, I feel like the actual summary for this episode is just going to say, what, George? What are you doing? <laughs> I So our, our main three, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher, love you all. They were all really taken aback by this. And they, they really thought that he had a lack of good dialogue skills in his writing, which I 100% agree. So they actually stood up to him and... After that, George Lucas allowed the actors and actresses to basically improvise their own wording for basic points of the screenplay's dialogue, which, well fucking done. Why did that not happen in the prequel trilogy? I'm sorry, Hayden Christensen, you should do better. No, no. I mean, great job, actors, for improvising your lines. But also, I'm sorry. You should not have to do that. Like, way to go that you know the story so well that you know what your character would say. That is a testament to you as an actor. Way to fucking go. Cheers to you. But, like... Cheers to our iconic trio. Cheers to our trio. But, wow. You should not have to just be told... Yeah, you know what? Here's the points I want you to make. Can you hit, can you hit those, please? That'd be great. Thanks. Bye. It's just so absurd. Like we've talked about other actors improvising their lines, but we've talked about very famous comedians coming in and improvising their lines. 
because the directors are like, you guys know comedy, so we're just going to let you run with it. These were all new actors, except Harrison Ford, who had been in a few other pieces. But like Mark Hamill was a new name. Carrie Fisher was a newer name. Like these guys, they're very new in their careers. Like I, I don't know if personally I would have trusted them to just like go ahead and do their lines, but like they did a phenomenal job miraculously like could you imagine this could have been a completely different movie which no wonder he thought he was gonna flop literally no wonder right like it's no <laughs> small so wonder true. he thought it was gonna flop because it could have like you said gone a completely different way so true that is the end of my beloved segment george lucas doesn't know what's going on for better or worse <laughs> i think we've answered the question that really it's for worse and it just lucked into being a for better situation. It's for Correct. worse. That is definitely what happened. It's not for better, but he just lucked into it being for better. With that being said, my segment, my next segment, the theatrical poster that was put out to audiences, the population everywhere to get people to be brought into this. Love it. So spoiler alert, we got three to talk about. <laughs> so- we're going to first talk about Tom Jung. So Tom was a freelance illustrator in 1977, and he was chosen to work on Star Wars. He was given the theme, Good Over Evil, and provided with a wealth of photos taken by unit photographers in color and in black and white, as well as two and a quarter inch stills on contact sheets taken from the original film, print of the film let's just make it clear what he was given was a theme of good versus evil and he was given kind of some shots of the film but not anything actually to work off of other than gut instinct and here's what some people here's their costumes basically what i'm saying is he cannot see facial features he cannot see actors in a specific pose he can't see any of this he is given a general theme. That is so unhelpful. <laughs> it is incredibly unhelpful. Just, okay, hey man, hey man, hey man, 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 man. Good versus evil. Um, You got this one guy, he has something that lights up. Um, There's going to be a girl, she wears a white dress. Oh my God. Right. Imagine trying to, imagine trying to describe a lightsaber to someone that has no idea what's going on. I mean, I guess you could just say laser sword, but that's not, that's not. If you were to say laser sword to me, I would not think lightsaber. That's not where my brain would go. I would think like, think of like a blade and it would have like a laser on the side. That to me is laser sword. That's cool. Right? Womp, womp, womp. Tom's work was used as the style A poster. We're going to talk about the style B and style C in just a second. However, what you will see in the style A is that it appears in the good versus evil that when Luke is holding up his lightsaber, lightsaber, it appears to come off as a cross, which was unintentional. Oh. He did not intend for this to come off looking like a cross. However, 
once he saw it, it seemed like a good solution to portray good versus evil. But it wasn't an intentional thought to put on paper. It wasn't until afterwards that he saw it and he's like, huh, that works. Interesting. That's super, super interesting. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to picture, I probably should just pull up the photos. We will share the photos. The original photo, it's the one with Luke with the lightsaber, like, like holding above his head. Okay. So I have it correct in my head. Well, but I will say just so you have it in your head correctly. Style A and style B both have that same look. However, you can tell the difference as I'm about to get into style B. Style A, which this is the actual poster that was put out so people would go see this movie. Uh, And I stared at this thing constantly like, am I really looking at this? Luke's shirt is like open and he is bare chest on this poster. Like he has like a six pack. Okay. I know exactly which one you're talking about now. Yes. And so that (laughs) is the poster, the OG poster for this movie. And I continually think to myself, what? (laughs) What? I'm just imagining my dad aged 13 going to see this movie because as you guys heard, he talked about he didn't see trailers. He just saw movie posters on buses, on ads, on benches and things like that. And no wonder he went by himself. My grandma probably didn't know he was going. <laughs> well, it's so like my dad, same thing. He went on opening day to see this. Like he was hyped up. He was ready to go. But I guess if you see this like shirtless guy holding this like beam of light and a girl grabbing onto him, of course you're going to go see a movie like that. That seems steamy. Um, But presents a very different movie than the reality. (laughs) Right. So as we were getting taken overseas to the UK, Lucasfilms actually determined that that style A poster that I was just talking about was actually considered too dark. And so they commissioned a second poster to be made, which is style B, which was done by Greg and Tim Hildebrand for the UK release of this movie. And so style B is very, very similar to style A, including the fact that they did not have actual pictures to work off of they were given the same things it's a good versus evil here's the first poster that we have here's a little bit more so the difference really is one style b has the darth vader mask going on behind them like a very very prominent Mm -hmm. darth vader mask which we don't get in the style a and style b finally has luke's chest covered up and more a little more accurate to what he actually looks like it's so surprising to me that neither of these artists were given photos to go off of that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard i'm sorry but again i think this leads back to george lucas has no idea what's going on A hundred percent. I think this goes back to George Lucas doesn't know what's going on because they didn't just stop there. They eventually commissioned style C poster because they realized that style A and B are highly stylized and not realistic to what the actors look like. So they got a third person named Tom Chantrell, 
when they wanted a less stylized and more realistic looking poster. And he was given an actual cast photo to be used to make this. So that one looks very different than the A and B. And that one's a little bit more. It has Luke in front and it has them almost in like a like a V formation going behind Luke at the front of this. And it's very obviously Mark Hamill. It's very obviously Carrie Fisher. Fisher. It's very obviously, I was about to say Han Solo. Oh my Lord. It's very obviously Harrison Ford in that style C poster. We finally have what our actual actors look like. We will share all iterations of this poster, A, B, and C, so that you guys can see what we're talking about. It's, it's, Oh, it's a time. Tis it is. time. So that's what I had on theatrical posters. So, Adina, I feel like you have another topic. So let's get into your next topic. That I do. It is our actor facts. Actor facts. Actor facts. I'll say it like that. Actor facts. So obviously all of these actors in this movie are our household names, particularly to Rachel and myself, who grew up with these movies with this franchise. I didn't like do too big of a dive on everybody, but I pulled out a few facts about our main three, a few facts about some of our backup guys. Okay, so Harrison Ford, the one, the only. Han Solo. Rachel likens her boyfriend Ian to Harrison Ford, which watching this movie, so accurate. (laughs) It's, you know, last week I talked about how I'm like a very spot on reference to Roxanne. Ian, one, they share the same birthday, July 13th. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, young Harrison Ford and Ian look surprisingly identical like ian could be related to harrison ford and nobody would like bat an eye it's i love it i love it it's scary whereas uh my brother a young version of my brother looks like mark hamill in this movie like my brother had that hair growing up at a certain point in his childhood oh i'm gonna show a photo of oh we'll do some side-by-side comparisons ian to harrison zach to Mark. It will be a delight. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so back to Harrison Ford. According to him, during the making of the movie, he and Mark Hamill would usually fool around and not commit to their work whenever Sir Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan, was not on set. But when he was on set, they behaved a lot more professionally. I get that. I'm right there with them. Yes. So with that fact, we have set out that Harrison serious actor we got around here not that he's not great he is great but he is not the most serious no to add to that he did not learn his lines for the intercom conversation in the cell block at all however there was a good reason to it he wanted to sound spontaneous and like you can definitely tell he's like oh yeah everything is fine um uh just malfunction in the like you can tell and I think for that, it lent itself well, but also was he just being lazy? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. No, I <laughs> Probably think... Probably not. I love you, Harrison Ford. <laughs> We're giving him the benefit of the doubt that he saw what he needed to do to make his character believable. Definitely. Finally, so I mentioned earlier 
George Lucas had wanted to go with unknown actors. So Harrison Ford was originally not allowed to audition for the role of Han Solo because he had starred in American Graffiti. But after using him to read lines with actors that were auditioning for other roles, he realized that Ford was the best actor for the part of Han Solo, which like, I can't imagine anybody else playing Han Solo. I saw a giant list of other actors who were like, who had auditioned. Like I saw Kurt Russell in there and I was like, I'm sorry, this role was made for Harrison Ford. It made for really, really was. And I mean, nobody else could ever come close to being Harrison Ford. And he he's perfect. I mean, I will say all three of them are perfect for their roles. Perfect. Perfectly cast. Perfectly, perfectly cast. Yeah. But, you know, Carrie and Mark were not, they, they had not had acting careers. They were pretty young. So... That leads me into just a couple of facts about Mark Hamill, who he, if you guys don't follow him on Twitter, you definitely should. He is very delightful on Twitter, but also he is a very beloved voice actor now. Like, oh my God, he is the creepiest Joker ever, (laughs) which like hearing, like going from this to that, it's just such a stark contrast that it shocks me. But it's just, it's, he's so, so good. Okay, so Mark is very much a method actor. He gets very into his roles. So he, in one of our favorite scenes, the trash compactor scene, uh, he held his breath for so long during that scene, probably because it was real smelly, uh, that he broke a blood vessel in his face and... Subsequent shots of this scene had to be shot from one side so as not to show the popped blood vessel on his face. That's really interesting. I know. And now I'm like, because I watched the movie and then I did the facts. That's always what I do. So I think I have to watch this movie again before we record next week, paying particularly close attention to that scene. That's really, really interesting. I definitely want to look for that specific scene and Watch for that. Yes. Okay. So again, getting into Mark Hamill is a wonderful method actor. In the scene where Luke and Leia swing across because the platform will not go further, stunt doubles were not used. Uh, so this is a combo carry Mark fact. So they performed the stunt themselves and did it in one take. Stop. One take? I know. Whoa. That is... A plus acting. I'm just clapping. Apparently, that's I don't know why. Just I'm I think it might be because of the daiquiri. That's why. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so I love Mark Hamill. I can go on a Mark Hamill rant about how amazing of an actor he is, particularly how amazing of a voice actor he is. But I'm gonna stop myself and go into the lovely, wonderful badass Carrie Fisher. I'm going to drink to Carrie Fisher. I, as well, am going to drink to Carrie Fisher. I will always drink to Carrie Fisher. She, she is wonderful and left this world far too soon. She's what a lot of women need. She, you know what? We all have our own struggles that we go through, but what she represented, what she brought to the screen, who she was as a person, 
she is definitely a role model for myself and I'm sure you and lots of other women out there. Absolutely. And if you haven't already, you should definitely listen to her audio or her books. I listen to them as audiobooks um, because she reads them and they are delightful. She had a very fascinating life and she was a phenomenal actress and oh, very, very sad. But let's bring it back on a happy note too. Fun little Carrie facts. Yeah. Before even getting to the scene, first of all, y'all know that Carrie's mom is the lovely Debbie Reynolds, another woman taken from us far too soon. Oh, what a tragic week that was. And But also, what a wonderful throwback to episode one. We think back I to our know. Halloween town. Here we are, episode 20. We're bringing it full circle for Carrie Fisher. You know what? I love that. But Debbie is the stage mom that we, we've we all heard about. <laughs> and, it, like, I I love her. Because, you know, she, she had her own career, so she knew what to ask for. But this film had a very limited budget. And the American cast members – so this was shot in the U.K. Um, I don't think we mentioned that. Um, but well, I have some location Parts facts. of it. Parts – okay. So Rachel will get into that in a second. But parts of this were shot in the U.K. And – the American cast members and crew, including George Lucas, all decided to fly coach to England rather than first class to keep that budget on track. But Debbie heard about this and she said, uh-uh, no way. And she called George up, complained, and said that it was ex- it was super insulting that her daughter would be flying coach. Like, she's the daughter of Queen Debbie Reynolds. How dare she fly coach? And then George handed Carrie the phone and... Our queen, Carrie, said, Mother, I want to fly coach. Will you fuck off? (laughs) And hung up the phone. (laughs) And that is why Carrie Fisher is a queen right there because she (sighs) is just so determined in what she wants to do. She doesn't bend her will for anybody. So effing good. I, uh, so good. The rest of my facts aren't the most fun. But that that was a fun one. I had to start it off with that. But Carrie was not accustomed to using guns prior to filming this movie. And in preparation for it, she took shooting lessons from the same person that taught Robert De Niro to shoot for Taxi Driver. You're right. That's not a fun fact, but that's an interesting it's fact. It's an interesting fact. Like yeah. I said, I pulled out some interesting facts. So... Carrie confirmed in her autobiography that she really disliked the iconic drink bagel bun hairstyle that she wore as Princess Leia, which I understand, but she had long hair, so they had to figure out what to do with it that would be kind of spacey. Wait, wait, stop. She hated that? She hated it, but let me get to this because it gets better. Prior to filming, however... The studio had requested that she lose some weight first for this movie, which she hadn't because she's a perfect person. I knew that. And that's something I've always known about. I mean, just women in Hollywood. But it's just like, are you are you out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? She looks phenomenal. She has a perfect body. But anyway, she was afraid that she would be fired for that. What? 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 So she was very eager to comply with everything that George Lucas had suggested, which included the hairstyle. And that is why he kept kept it in. Because she's like, 
eh, I'll just stick with the hairstyle. It's fine. Rachel's making now a face. I, now I hate the hairstyle because she's doing that because she didn't lose weight for the film. Now I hate the but hairstyle. But here's the thing. Hold on. Because here's the thing. If you think back to our newest trilogy and the lovely Billy Lord is in that trilogy, her daughter, she has buns in that in the movies that are reminiscent of her mother's. So perhaps she grew to love them. Like that is an iconic Leia hairstyle. No, it's completely iconic. And like I've done that a million bajillion times to my own hair. But like if if the reason that it became iconic is because she chose she had to do this because she wasn't losing weight for the like I don't and now I feel icky because she it became great because she stuck to her guns and didn't do what something she shouldn't have to do to begin with. But I'm going to take it as a this is a screw the patriarchy like I don't have to lose weight for your fucking movie. Okay. So okay. I like, like that. Then. This is my hair. Dude, yeah, like this is my hair, whatever hairs it's not like they made her shave her head or something like they just put it in a hairstyle and then she gets the really cool hairstyle at the end which my last fact about carrie leads into my next little little actor fact although their characters hated each other for obvious reasons carrie fisher found peter cushing who is grand moff tarkin to be very charming polite and humorous on set and they got along so well that uh, Fisher found it a really, like, a real challenge to hate him (laughs) when they were acting, which I love. (laughs) I love that. That's so sweet. I love that. Uh, Speaking of the lovely Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin, cheekbones of... That was just, like, carved from the gods. So, in his costume, he, he found the boots that he wore to be extremely uncomfortable because they were too small for his feet. So he only wore them in a few shots when you can see his feet. So anytime that you're looking at Grand Moff Tarkin and he's walking around, but you can't see his feet, you know what he's wearing down there? Fuzzy slippers. I was going to say he's wearing Uggs. That's my, that's, that's canon. <laughs> well, it was 1977. So I don't think they had Uggs, but I don't know. In my head, I'm picturing like pink fuzzy slippers. I know that that's not what it is, but I kind of want to believe that they're pink fuzzy slippers. (laughs) So those are my little actor facts. I have a couple others that I will bring in later, but I'm going to let Rachel talk because again, I've been talking for a while. So why don't you tell us about some musicalness? I will. I will 100% talk about the music of this movie because... Um, as you heard my dad say, nothing is more iconic than the score of this movie. And yes, he told us to take a drink when he said it. So, of course, the music was done by the one, the only John Williams. Just, yeah, like John Williams. Claps for John Williams. I, I love John Williams. So much. Literally all of my favorite movie scores are John Williams. I've talked about this before. I I grew up playing music. This is what I I did in high school and growing up and everything. I play lots of music. I've done concert bands, all all that good stuff. It's something about listening to the scores of movies. That's some of my all-time favorite study music. That's my focus music. That's my I need to be 
in a headspace and nothing will get me into headspaces better than musical scores. And John Williams is at the top of the list of people who can take you to another place without having to leave where you currently are. That's exactly what I was going to say is that scores in any kind of a score, but particularly a movie score will transport you back to watching that movie. And if that movie takes place in a different time period or a different country, you are transported to that place. And anytime I hear the Star Wars score, it's like I'm watching it. I'm there. It it just it's it's such a transcendent, transformative, all, all those words. <laughs> like I I love this score to all of the Star Wars movies so much. And John Williams is a genius. Absolutely. I'm going to say though, and you just take this as you will. This is kind of a hot take. So I'm sorry. I think at Galaxy's Edge, it was a miss that we do not hear the score playing when you are in that area of the theme park. A thousand percent. It is a percent. It is such a big miss. And I, that is something that I walked in there the very first time I went to that part of Disneyland. And I felt, I don't want to say I felt let down, but I did. I was expecting that I would get John Williams music to take me to this other planet, to take me to this other galaxy. And it wasn't there. I have only been to Galaxy's Edge twice, but yeah, I, I think that is a huge miss. So the score of Star Wars was recorded over the span of eight days in the in March 1977. So it took eight days to record the entire score. I'm assuming they have full working days on this. So that's that's more than a week of work. However, that's still pretty damn short. That means they are really cranking this out to get the perfect take and get a full-length movie score in eight days. Absolutely, because this movie came out in May of 77. So they only recorded it like two months before the movie came out. Yes. That's fucking insane. Yeah, it's it's incredible and it's in a test it's a testament to the London Symphony Orchestra who are the ones who performed the score to this movie. So the London Symphony Orchestra cheers to you because you were able to buckle down, do the work and get this out two months before the movie came out. Damn, well done. Cheers, claps, taking a drink, well done. All of the above. As I used to call out more in season one, I have not called this out in quite some time, so I feel like I must say it now. In 2004, this score was added to the Library of Congress into the National Recording Registry, calling it culturally historically and aesthetically significant so it wasn't until 2004 it's very well deserved it's just i feel like that that's a long time that's late yeah especially because in 2005 so a year later after that the american film institute named the original star wars soundtrack that we are talking about right now as the most memorable score of all time for an American film. Totally. I don't disagree, but like it took until 2005 for people to be like, you know what? Right. We have enough data, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, the data is in. John Williams, you've done it with Star Wars. 
it took 28 years. Wait, did I math correctly? Yes. 28 years. <laughs> um, here is, I, I'm just going to read this note that I wrote word for word because I feel like everyone will think exactly what I'm saying. And, of course, it won the Academy Award for Best Original Score. How could it not? How could this not win the award for Best Original Score? No, there's no... I don't even know what else was nominated that year, but there's no way that anything else could have come anywhere close to this. So let's talk about that score. And let's go back to our favorite, George Lucas. Now, George <laughs> Lucas, for doesn't know what he's doing for better or for worse, applies actually to the music of this score as well. Oh, gosh. In that George Lucas planned to score this movie with existing classical music, very much like Stanley Kubrick did in 2001 Space Odyssey about nine years previously. But get ready for this. It's the crossover of a century. Oh, God. Steven Spielberg actually introduced uh, George Lucas to John Williams. And so that's how that connection was made. It was because of Steven Spielberg, the same person in my mind, that the that George Lucas <laughs> met John Williams. And so here's what I really like. And for all of you who like music out there, I feel like you will appreciate what I'm about to tell you. Lucas and Williams agreed on a classical 19th century romantic music style with liberal use of leitmotif for the score. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, let me tell you what that means. That would be me. That would be me. I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> I am here to do, 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 enlighten you. I don't know what that sound effect was. I'm sorry. Knowledge is your friend. <laughs> a specific song or essentially musical score that goes along with a specific person or character. So the fact that we have the Imperial March, everybody knows the Imperial March and that not just that they know it, as soon as you hear that music, you think of a specific character. Definitely. This entire score is supposed to be very heavily, heavily influenced with leitmotifs and the fact that almost every single character throughout this score will have some form of a musical motif that they are represented by. And it lends itself so well to this movie because it is, it's very character heavy. Like you, th there is so much emphasis on these characters and their lives and yeah, I, I can, I'm thinking these in my head right now. Like they're going through my head, the different motifs. And I'm like, oh, that one's Luke. Oh, that one's Darth Vader. Like it's, it's super fun. I'm so happy that you said that because while Mark Hamill was reading through the tracks of the soundtrack, he was actually slightly disappointed that John Williams didn't write a theme for Luke. There is no Luke's theme in the score for this movie. But after that was said, John Williams pointed out that the entire main theme is Luke's theme. <laughs> the entire I was literally theme. going to say the whole, the whole, dun, 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 dun. that's Luke's theme. Hello. <laughs> Luke's theme. But it wasn't <laughs> called that. And so Mark Hamill was like, excuse me, um, where's my music? <laughs> 
Mark, my boy. (laughs) Get your head out of your ass. (laughs) I just, I loved that so much that he was like looking at this and everybody has their very iconic music. And I guess it's more written out like, this is, you know, Darth Vader's music. You could put these things together and Luke just didn't put it together that the main thing theme is him. But yes, because that, that the whole these nine films are the Skywalker saga. Like it's based on him and his family. <laughs> he is Skywalker. <laughs> He just needed somebody to like connect the dots. That main theme is Luke theme. That's there's the line right there. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so ridiculous, but (laughs) so funny. I love it. I'll blame it on his age. He's he was a he was a wee baby. I have one final thing about the music, which actually circles back to how we opened talking about the music. So the the thought process behind the music and why they did it in the style that they did it is because since the movie would show worlds never seen before, the music had to serve as that emotional anchor for the audience to be able to relate to it. So the entire intent of this music was we're about to take you, we're telling you to a galaxy far, far away. Nothing will be like you know, which is so different for so many movies that were going on during that time, previous to that time, etc. And so it was discussed that John Williams would write a score so that you, the audience member, would not feel completely lost and you would have something that at least the music makes sense to you. If nothing else makes sense, the music makes sense to you. I love that so much. And this is why I'm going to say John Williams is a fucking genius. Yes. Yes. All right. Time for Star Wars Fast Facts. Things that don't fit into anything. Star Wars Fast Facts. Star Wars Fast Fact number one. (laughs) In early drafts of the script, R2-D2 could speak standard English and had a rather foul vocabulary, much like us in recording this podcast. Uh, And although all of R2's English speech was removed, many of C-3PO's reactions to it were left in. I don't know if I love or hate that fact. I don't know. (laughs) I love it. Can you imagine like a robot with a human voice going like, fuck that, (laughs) C-3PO. And then hit C-3PO going, how rude. I, I, wow. (laughs) Wow is all I have to say. (laughs) So fast fact two that we're on. And I'm going to, it's going to relate to that actually. So I'm going to skip my own notes and relate one to this. This is the first movie ever to be dubbed in the Navajo language. Ever. And so the reason that they did, and it wasn't until 2013, essentially Navajo was dying out. And so they decided to dub this into Navajo to and reinvigorate people's interest in the language it premiered to 200 people the reason that i say that this ties into what you were saying is there were a couple of issues most importantly there was no navajo term for robot there's no term for that so they had to come up with how do i mean they that describe? makes sense yeah yeah it makes sense so how do they describe <laughs> it they came up with the term of a machine that thinks for itself 
is how droid, robot, all of these things are translated in the Navajo dub of Star Wars A New Hope. I love that. And that leads super well into my fast fact number three, which is about language. So when you are watching this, and I will bring it up when we watch it, if there's someone not speaking English, it just says in parentheses, speaking alien language. So what are these languages being spoken, you might ask? I'm glad that you did, Rachel. Yes. The Jawas language is Zulu, electronically sped up. So real language. And Greedo's language is Quechua. I apologize if I pronounce that incorrectly. It's Q-U-E-C-H-U-A, which is an indigenous South American language. Because while I was watching this movie, I'm like, are these real languages or did someone just make this up? They are real languages. And I love that. I love that too. Which will lead into, I'm going to, this is a stretch, but I'm going to make it work. We're going to lead that into Fast Fact 4. Fast Fact 4 has to do with the filming locations of this. Yay. And so I'm going to go in reverse order than how I wrote it in my notes, just so I can get it to connect. Um, One of the filming locations of this is Guatemala. And so they actually, the very end of this movie is filmed in Guatemala. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. See, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to like bring some fun little fast facts. Um, But I am going to back it up just because I, Rachel, I have something to share about this. The majority of this movie was filmed in Tunisia. In fact, um, Luke's home is filmed at an actual hotel in Tunisia that you can visit and actually go to Luke's home. And the courtyard is how you have those little um, arched doorways that are made essentially out of stone. That's a hotel in Tunisia. Cool. Adam and I will be changing our honeymoon location <laughs> going to tunisia uh, <laughs> to the i will give you the name it's the city driss hotel in matmata tunisia so that's where you can actually film and be in luke's home but why i really wanted to tell this fast fact which is now a very long extended fact is because a lot of it was filmed in Death Valley. And I was just at Death Valley and I went to the filming locations of much of a Star Wars, A New Hope, and well, some other Star Wars too, but we'll talk about that later. So uh, it was filmed a lot in Death Valley when they were allowing films in a national park, which is not really allowed at all uh, nowadays. So nope, I have not. pictures of me at the Mesquite Dunes, where C-3PO and R2-D2 get lost amongst the dunes, I have pictures of me on those dunes. Uh, And then some other things were filmed at the Artist's Palette. There's actually an entire place called Star Wars Canyon in Death Valley, where you can watch, essentially, military jets fly by, so it feels like you are actually in Star Wars watching spaceships fly by. That's super cool. I have video of us at a different place, not Star Wars Canyon. They were flying to Star Wars Canyon, but I have a video of jets flying and doing tricks all around us in Death Valley. I don't have a fact that leads directly into that, so I'm going to go the military route and then take it into stormtroopers for fast 
fact number five. <laughs> most of guess <laughs> a stretch, guys. Uh, but most of the stormtroopers are left-handed. You will see in the movie, and that is because of how the weapons are constructed. Their weapons are based on a real weapon where the magazine is on the left side. This construction caused it to hit the troopers in the chest. Therefore, they have to switch grip of the weapon, which made them all look left-handed. That's phenomenal. I <laughs> love that so much. As somebody whose brother is left-handed, that is just such a My cool... brother's left-handed! What the fuck? How have we never talked about this? How has this never come up? Really? Zach's left-handed? Yes! Eric's left-handed? Yes. Oh my god. What just happened? What just happened? (laughs) This is the greatest moment. (laughs) That's so cool! Do you have other left-handed people in your family? Yeah, we have a lot of left-handed people in our family. Oh, we don't. Zach is the only one. Oh, really? Yes! I'm so happy right now. Holy shit. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) We're almost done. You know what? Let's round out our facts. We're so close. Let's let's get to Let's only each do a couple more. (laughs) Okay. So actually, I'm going to make six. Six is going to be a multi-parter because it's the last thing that I really want to talk about. But, and I just, I've been saving this one for my last one, but I'm going to keep going on. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Star Wars Day because that's the week that our episode is getting released on. So I just want to give a little, just little, little shout out. So the very first record, so this is Fast Fact 6 right here, but the rest of my facts are going to be related to this. Six, the first recorded reference of May the 4th Be With You was first used on May 4th, 1979. The day that Margaret Thatcher took the job as prime minister of the UK, her political party, the Conservatives, placed a congratulatory advertisement in the London Evening News saying, may the fourth be with you, Maggie. What? That's bonkers. (laughs) It's super, super bonkers. And we're going to find out in later fast facts from me that this really doesn't become a thing until later on. But that in 1979, that is the first time that this like phrase was used, was May the 4th be with you in 1979 for Margaret Thatcher. That is bananas. I don't know. I'm just using all of the B words I can think of that are, are a synonym of crazy. Rachel's just laughing at me. We're at the end of our ropes here, guys. I'm still trying to get over the fact that the first time this phrase was used was for Margaret Thatcher. I can't. I can't. There's so much about that fact that is just like, what? (laughs) There is a lot to unpack with that. I'm sorry. I had to bring it up. No, I'm I'm glad you brought it up. I'm trying to think of a fact to share as the next one, but I don't think that anything will really compare. So- You took a wild swing with fact number six. I'm going to go with fact number seven, another wild swing. Discussing the word Jedi. It is derived from the Japanese words Jedi Geki, which translate as period adventure drama. A period adventure drama is a Japanese television soap opera program set in the samurai days. 
George Lucas mentioned in an interview that he saw this phrase on a television program while in Japan a year or so before the movie was made. And he just really liked it. So shortened it to Jedi. I think this George Lucas doesn't know what's going on for better or for worse. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. That was it. I just think that George Lucas is George Lucas. I've decided he is the definition of winging it. Oh, my God. That is accurate. Okay, Rachel, what's number eight? Well, it's like it's eight, but it's six B. Let's be honest. And we're just these are going to be literal fast facts in 2008. Eight. So we went from 1979 is the first reference of May the 4th Be With You to 2008. The first Facebook groups appeared celebrating Luke Skywalker Day with the same catchphrase. Now, here's my issue. I got all of my information off Wikipedia, which, you know, but here's why I have an issue with that. I remember being in high school. Because I remember my boyfriend at the time was a big Star Wars person. Big Star Wars person. And he would be super into May 4th being Star Wars Day. So I think there's some bullshit to the Wikipedia article saying 2008 was when the next kind of timeline of events. Like that was the next kind of formal thing is a Facebook group represented this. But I can think of like 2006 where my high school boyfriend was super into May 4th being Star Wars Day. Thoughts? I don't know. I'm trying to think back to the first time that I heard that phrase, and I honestly can't pinpoint it. Well, okay then. I'm sorry. That was very (laughs) unhelpful for you. I've also had a lot of my frozen cocktail, and it's still really hot outside. But anyway, um, no, I, I can't think... I feel like I didn't start saying, like, may the fourth be with you or celebrating Star Wars Day until college. Really? Like, I, yeah, I think. I honestly, like, I don't know. I will check my Facebook memories when May the, when, when it is May 4th and report back in next week's episode. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know, honestly. Fast fact number nine, obviously. Sir Alec Guinness is not the only iteration of the one, the only Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, We have the wonderful Ewan McGregor, who so attractive. But did you know that he has a connection to OG Trilogy? What? What? You might be asking. What is that? I am asking. Dennis Lawson, who played Wedge Antilles, is Ewan McGregor's uncle. What? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. I know. But a uh, part two fact is uh, Dennis Lawson's name is misspelled in the credits. They have two N's in Dennis, but it is only one. Yikes. Wow. That's a that mm-hmm. actually that's a fun fact. Yes. But that's my number nine fast fact, Rachel. I am so happy right now that I'm about to say for me, my last fast fact that I have for this movie is fast fact number 10 and it's perfect chef's kiss fast fact because 10 years ago this week in 2011 the first organized celebration of star wars day took place in toronto canada at the toronto underground cinema produced by sean ward and alice quinn Festivities included an original trilogy trivia game show, 
a costume contest with celebrity judges, and the web's best tribute films, mashups, parodies, and remixes on the big screen. So 10 years ago, this week that this episode is coming out, is the first official true celebration of Star Wars Day. I love that. Love it so much. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. I have one final fact that is not related to anything you just said, but I feel like I need to share it because it is so random and so hysterical. Please. That you will appreciate it, as will our listeners. So studio executives at 20th Century Fox were very worried that audiences would be scandalized by the fact that beloved character Chewbacca was naked, airing his parts out for all the galaxy to see. <laughs> and there is some hysterical concept art of Chewbacca wearing everything from later hosen to culottes to shorts. But ultimately, obviously, George Lucas got his way and Chewie is naked, <laughs> which I didn't think about it until I saw this fact that like, oh, yeah, he's just like a hairy figure. So that's my fun fact that I'm going to end on because it's so absurd. And clearly we are in a very silly mood at this point. Okay. 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 Chewbacca and later Hosen. I hate it. I hate, I hate it. it so much. I hate it so much. But I also hate the thought that they had to point out that Chewbacca is naked. Like, he's, I, I mean, would you say... He's based on a dog. I was gonna say, would you say a dog is naked? So he is loosely based on George Lucas's dog, but like a big shaggy dog. Which I wouldn't say that, like, if I looked at a dog, I'm like, that, I'm not like, that dog is naked. Like... I see my my parents' dog. I'm like, that dog's not naked. She's just a dog <laughs> with fur. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? George <laughs> Lucas, to round out this whole episode of George Lucas not knowing what he's doing for better or for worse, you know what? We're going to end on the most positive note that we could possibly end on and say, for better, George Lucas is right that Chewbacca should he not- He knew what was going on in this. He yes. knew. He knew. And he, he stuck to his guns. He did it. And you know what? For that- <laughs> I think we need to round it out for this episode and say that George Lucas, I guess, knew what he was doing. I mean, he didn't just in that particular note, but I'd say overall, he did not know what was going on. And you know what? That's okay. It worked out in our favor, in his favor, in favor of Star Wars fans everywhere. This is a beloved movie. That I will watch time and time again. I will too. And I'm so excited. So for all of you listening, don't worry. Next week as we talk about the movie, I promise you we will still be sprinkling in more facts. Because there's so much to say about this movie. That's why we're splitting it up. But there'll, there'll be more. And there's going to be wine next week for us as well. But in the meantime, may the 4th be with you. Before we go, I'm going to give a shout out to our patron, Clocky McDowell. Clocky McDowell. Thank you for joining us. I just also want to thank our dads, Mark, Keith. Thank you for sharing with us your experience and more importantly, 
thank you for sharing with us your love of Star Wars. Yes, it truly has shaped me into the nerdy person that I am. And I am forever grateful that my dad at age 13 went and saw Star Wars by himself at the movie theater so that he could pass along that love and enjoyment to me. Absolutely. So I want to thank both of our dads. As Adina already said, may the fourth be with you. And I think all that's left to say is a very hearty, very silly. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Disney Rewind. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And finally, you can send us an email at DisneyRewind at gmail.com. Again, that's DisneyRewind. D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.